you see these threats to journalists around the world. A lot of them are threats that have existed for a long time and have gotten worse, like the imprisonment of journalists and the criminalization of journalism. Some of them are just re reflecting the way in which journalism has changed. One of the most disturbing trends over the last few years has been the uptick in violence directed against journalists for members of the public and even law enforcement. Sadly, this does not seem to be something that is going away anytime soon. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. The U.S. Press Freedom Tracker is led by the Freedom of the Press Foundation and the Committee to Protect Journalists in collaboration with other leading press freedom groups. U.S. press freedom has taken a dive during the Trump administration, and to be fair, it wasn't stellar before that. Today, we're joined by Michael Dodora, Washington Advocacy Manager of the Committee to Protect Journalists, on the state of press freedom in the U.S. and what a new administration might mean to press freedom. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. First of all, tell me about your background. How did you get involved in the subject of press freedom? Sure. Well, actually, as it turns out, I was a, a journalist in a past life, as they say. When I was in college at the State University of New York at Albany in upstate New York, I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper there. I started out as a photographer and, and writer for the paper and worked my way up. During my senior year, I also had a, an internship with Gannett News, and I was working at the state capitol there, essentially a roving reporter for Gannett on all things happening around the capitol. After I graduated, I took a job with Fox News, as it happens, and worked at their headquarters in New York City as a, an editor for foxnews.com. And at that point, was kind of looking at my future in journalism and, you know, looking at the, the landscape. And, you know, this is before the economic crash of the late 2000s, but I wasn't so sure about my long-term chances of really succeeding in journalism. And I wasn't sure that I was 100 percent, you know, dedicated to what what that would take. You know, I had gotten a couple of offers to work at really small newspapers around the United States where I really could have built up, you know, my credibility as a journalist, but I wasn't sure I wanted to live in, you know, in a place with a couple hundred people. So what I decided to do is I went to go get my master's degree at the City University of New York, and I worked full time as a press relations officer at City University of New York when I was when I was doing this studying political theory. You know, throughout my journalism career, I was always really interested in the dynamics of human rights and international politics, foreign relations. And so I ended up studying that, the relationship between human rights and governments, religion and governments. And what I ended up doing is kind of turning from engaging in journalism myself to advocating for people who consider themselves to be journalists. And so I spent some time in an organization called the Center for Inquiry, which defended freedom of expression. And then three and a half Four years ago or so, the Community Protect Journalist was hiring a Washington advocacy manager, someone to manage their full-time engagement with the U.S. government in Washington. And that was the first time that they had that position. They had actually just created it. And it felt like a, a real good fit for me. So I've been with the organization since then. And yeah, it, it really is amazing career-wise for me to have this turn where I, I was a journalist and I'm now really working at the preeminent organization that is out in the world defending journalists. Maybe you just answer this question, but, you know, what is the mission of the project to protect journalists? Or is it really like an obvious name? It is, to some extent, an obvious name. The Committee to Protect Journalists is a, a group of people who are working together to protect journalists. That being said, of course, every so often you get emails or phone calls from people who think that you're actually a committee of government or don't quite understand the name. The Committee to Protect Journalists is an independent nonprofit organization that 
promotes press freedom around the world and defends the right of journalists to report the news safely and without fear of reprisal. We try to protect very broadly the free flow of news and commentary and information by taking action wherever journalists are under threat. And the reason for the word committee is that quite literally the organization was founded in the early 1980s by journalists who were based in the United States, a small group of them who came together because they were concerned about the dangers that journalists outside of the country were facing, journalists around the world who didn't quite enjoy the same protections that journalists in the United States face. So it started out as a committee that was seeking to publish information and highlight the plight of journalists around the world who you know, did not enjoy the same protections as journalists in the United States. It's obviously grown quite a bit since then. Now, I know we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the new administration and, and what the United States' is, you know, ranking is on, on the press freedom tracker, but you know, what are some of the, the challenges that other countries are facing that you know, many Americans may not, may not be aware of? So there's overlap between those challenges and the challenges that journalists in the United States are facing, but challenges that journalists around the world are facing are, I think, at least historically, and you could probably argue this year, more severe than what journalists in the United States face. That's not to at all say that what's happening in the United States is not of concern, because we're deeply concerned about what's happening in the United States. But to give you a broad overview of the threats to journalists around the world, what, what we've seen, you know, the backbone of the, the organization, the original component of the Committee to Protect Journalists is really, you know, the research and reporting that we're doing about attacks against the press which is on, you know, on every day on the website, we're publishing news alerts and blog posts and special reports that are detailing the state of press freedom around the world. And you know, when you sit back and look at all these things, you can start to pick out some themes. I think the top, top level themes that you see are the criminalization of journalism, which is you know, governments outright looking to make the act of journalism a crime. And in certain cases, you see that through national security laws or through laws that criminalize terrorism. And so if journalists are even reporting on terrorism or anything related to the government, they might be you know, smeared with accusations that they belong to a terrorist group or that they're threatening national security. You know, increasingly, we've seen laws against disinformation or false news being weaponized against journalists and news organizations. We've also seen legal attacks, particularly libel and defamation lawsuits against journalists and news organizations some of which are you know, intended not even necessarily to win, but are suits that are brought just because they exhaust the financial means of, of these organizations. And so instead of actually reporting, they're just spending all their money and their time trying to fight this legal suit against them. We've also found you know, across the world that journalists are in particular danger surrounding protests and elections, oftentimes leading up to elections governments, particularly autocrats and dictators, will seek to control the narrative and therefore prevent news organizations and journalists from going out and reporting. And often, you know, when you see elections that are marked by protests and civil unrest, journalists who are going out to cover those are then pit between the violence that may be happening at those protests and the law enforcement officials who really don't want the journalists out there to begin with. So they're in a particularly dangerous situation. In the United States this year, being at a protest has been one of the most dangerous places that a journalist could be. And then I'd say the last and one of the one of the newer threats to journalists, one of the more recent threats to journalists is the is the area of technology. 
this is the area in which journalists are going on social media to try to share news and information, but they're being harassed by anonymous users on those platforms and being threatened with death and facing all sorts of, you know, ridiculous allegations. You know, they're on platforms where governments may be trying to censor the information they're sharing, and those platforms are in difficult spots because they have to choose between complying sometimes with government requests and potentially being shut down in the country altogether. And on the other side of technology is, you know, the, the actual use of smartphones, which has really revolutionized how journalists can work around the world. But at the same time, with the advent of smartphones, you also have the advent of technologies that can be used to hack into smartphones and keep tabs on where journalists are going and hack into their phones and get a sense of, you know, who the sources that they're talking to for their stories. So you see these threats to journalists around the world. A lot of them are are threats that have existed for a long time and have gotten worse, like the imprisonment of journalists and the criminalization of journalism. Some of them are just re- reflecting the way in which journalism has changed. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things in, the, in there I want to focus on. You know, over the last few weeks, I mean, as we've seen, you know, we're recording this, you know, in the middle of December, there have been protests uh, regarding the most recent election in the United States, and you can find video on social videos, on social media, you know, there's one that I watched over the weekend of like an ABC reporter being followed by protesters who were just screaming at him. And, you know, the, the, the reporter and the, the cameraman just continued walking along and these people kept screaming at him. And I know that this is something that has certainly occurred in the U.S. at protests throughout the last year and also talk about, you know, direct threats to toward journalists, uh, sort of calls, you know, for inciting some sort of violence against journalists, if not just discounting media as the cause of all the problems, is becoming an element in this sort of argument against any sort of change. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I, know, I always say these things and I never, I never produce a question out of them. But what are your thoughts about I, th- that? I think you've put enough on the table to, you know, to provide a, a response, even if there's not a question mark at the end of it. Back in 2017... The Committee to Protect Journalists, along with a number of organizations, launched something called the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker, which I think you may have mentioned before. And that was a joint initiative to develop a website that would track attacks against the press in the United States. And it was born out of a recognition that there was nothing like this and that the situation in the United States was deteriorating and out of deep concern about the incoming Trump administration's treatment of the press, or at that point, you know, Trump had just been inaugurated. Around the same time, the Committee to Protect Journalists organized a mission to the United States for international press freedom and freedom of expression leaders to come to the United States. And we sent them to Missouri and Texas to meet with a bunch of local journalists and get a sense of of what they were facing. And I think the, the reporting that you're seeing and that you referenced right now is really a continuation of a lot of the trends that we started to make sense of back in 2017. Being at a protest in the United States is a very dangerous place for journalists. As I said before, it's a danger for a lot of journalists because you're very often pit between the unrest of the actual protest and then the law enforcement officials who, for the most part, are not necessarily trained in their interactions with journalists. They may not even know who the journalists are unless they're you know, wearing very, very specific and public vests. So on one level, for the Committee to Protect Journalists, what we've been trying to do is 
provide more know-how to journalists who are out there, particularly freelance journalists and photojournalists who I think are the most at risk because they don't necessarily have the protections of working for a major news organization and they're carrying around very expensive equipment so that when they go into those practices, they're thinking proactively about keeping themselves safe. But the danger that journalists have faced being a protest extends you know, way, way back beyond just recent protests. It you know, goes back to Standing Rock and some of the issues that journalists were facing there and other related protests related to the environment and political unrest. And we're only seeing this get worse. In 2020, it was a particularly difficult year for journalists within the United States. There are no journalists in prison right now, and the Committee to Protect Journalists just released our annual census of imprisoned journalists. We found a record number of journalists around the world, 274 behind bars. Now, there were none in the United States, but this doesn't mean that there are not problems in the United States. We found that 110 journalists were arrested and criminally or criminally charged in 2020, that around 300 were assaulted, and the U.S. press freedom tracker is sifting through about 980 total violations related to the national social justice protests that you know, broke out throughout the year in the United States. The attacks themselves in the United States in 2020 represent about a 600% increase since 2019. So 2020 was a, a really bad year for journalists in the United States. And a large part of that was what's happening at protests. But I think what you're seeing at protests is also something that is a result of or consequence of the soil, the atmosphere that already existed. You know, unfortunately, in the last several years in the United States, you've had political leaders at the highest levels of government. And I think it's trickled down, as we found in our mission in 2017, it's trickled down to local government officials accusing news organizations and journalists of being fake news and enemies of the people. And when you couple this with rapidly disappearing news organizations and newspapers throughout a large percentage of the United States, you have a, you know, a situation in which people may be more open to accusations that news organizations are fake news or they're enemies of the people because they may not know a journalist. They may have lost their local newspaper. So their familiarity with who is a journalist and what, what a journalist is trying to do in the United States is dwindling. And so accusations of fake news may more easily take hold. And I think that unfortunately leads to, you know, for us, a country right now in which there's a fear and mistrust of journalists and news organizations and the information that they're producing. And I think that unfortunately is not wholly, but in large part due to the fact that we have political leaders and government officials who just find it far too easy to, to blind and criticize journalists. Yeah. Or completely disregard what, what actually our job is that, you know, asking a question is somehow a hot take or a, a gotcha, gotcha thing, and it's not us actually trying to determine the truth. Yeah, the role of journalism writ large in democracy, you know, as a, not something of a very specific and personal thing, but just, you know, in maintaining a democratic nation, you know, we need journalists, we need independent press, and the people who help found this nation and draw up our foundational documents, knew that. And what's interesting about, about them, about Jefferson and Adams uh, and some of the other founding fathers and people who wrote founding documents is that even while they were speaking to this, this you know, need to have an independent press and protect a press, I was just reading the other day some stuff that Adams wrote about it, you know, the press being the bulwark that protects all the rights of men, as he wrote. But you know, 
at the same time, they were not really that friendly towards the press in their private written documents. So in a lot of letters they exchanged with other people, they were very critical of news stories that they saw out there. And then obviously in 1800, you had John Adams sign the Alien Sedition Acts, which made a lot of the criticism that you saw in news publications back then legal. And you actually started to see the jailing of journalists and people who worked at news organizations. I think what you're what you're really seeing, though, that's different from the last couple of decades and last really century or so is like what you said, this complete, complete attack on the role that the independent press plays in a democratic society. And it's strange because I can go back when I was I was working as a reporter and an editor, you know, in between 2001 and 2010 at a community newspaper, and I would go to events. And Fox News at that point were really good with the, you know, promoting the idea that, you know, mainstream media was bad and evil and it was against whatever the real truth of what was going on. And so I would cover some, you know, supervisors, you know, campaign, somebody running for an office because I was the only journalist there. I represented all journalists. And so whatever perception they had toward what a journalist was and what, you know, how bad they are was directed toward me and not actually to whatever the, the work I was, was doing. What I always found funny was, you know, I would write my story and those people would respond back to me. And this is, I was really surprised at how, you know, fair you were in our, your coverage. And I said, yeah. And that was something that I always found, particularly on one side of the fence. Whenever I covered one side of the fence, they, they were constantly did not trust me, but they were pleased when I gave them a fair shake. The other side didn't really care very much about me at all. But you know, the bottom line though is nobody goes becomes a journalist to find friends. I think we all sort of understand that. I think it's scary in more recent years when, you know, we're now part of the target. We're part of the opposition. We're part of whatever mechanism is out there that's supposedly poisoning the world that we're in. Yeah. And you know, just to add an interesting note on that, you know, I have the opportunity at my organization to speak with a number of journalists around the world who have faced these ongoing legal attacks and who have been imprisoned for the journalism that they're producing. And when you speak to them after, you know, they've been released from prison or after a court case has been decided in their favor, you know, they sometimes travel to the United States and you get a chance to meet with them. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to sit down with some of them, ask them questions. And and one of the questions that sometimes comes up is, are you going to return to doing what you were doing? Are you going to go back to publishing news that has gotten you in trouble. And they all all say, you know, absolutely. As soon as I can go back, that's what I'm going to do. It's my job. And it was not something that ever really struck me before, even as someone who was a journalist, but for so many journalists around the world, this is just their job. This is what they want to do. This is how they want to work. And there are so few industries around the world in which just by virtue of being in that industry, you're targeted for violence, for harassment, for imprisonment, and for murder. And for the people who are engaged in it, it's really just, it's not to, you know, to make it sound anything to underscore the work that they're doing, but for so many journalists, it's just, it's just their job. Yeah. And this desire to accomplish something. I had the opportunity in 2018 to actually go to Tajikistan to train some young journalists I was in the country for, for 13 days. You know, I, I do not understand all of the inner workings of, of their government and, and their journalism. I, it would be rude of me to say that. But what I was able to observe 
is, you know, a country that's, you know, was controlled by a strong man and his family and journalists who were unable to publish certain types of stories because there would be pressure put on their newspapers. There would be, you know, the newspapers would be fined or there wouldn't need any advertising. So no information went out, but yet there was still a desire in that community to have that information. And there was still a desire of journalists to find a way to bring that to people. They recognized that that was important, even though they were in a, in oppressive system. So anyway, yeah, I guess what we're saying is the journalists have this drive and they recognize that there's this need and hopefully, you know, we'll get into a situation or we'll get into a better world where we're able to sort of fulfill a role that as certainly in the United States as it's been described by our, our founding fathers. I think also you've, you've pointed out a really important aspect of press freedom. You know, when people often think about freedom of the press, they think about how it protects news organizations and the independence of journalists, but it also protects the rights of people to get information. And that's a really important thing in, in any society. It's a you know, critical aspect of democracy, but I think especially on autocracies and dictatorships, you know, people need access to information and news. It's critical for them to get that information, understand what's happening in their society and how to mobilize and you know, potentially make change. And that's something that, that we're constantly trying to stress that by protecting the rights of journalists and news organizations, you're actually protecting the rights of everyone in a large scale. That's one of the things that always baffles me when we get comments on our on the stories on on the, the website that I work on, you know, comments that sort of display a complete lack of understanding of what our role is in society and what we're actually trying to do, this sort of perception that we're somehow, you know, that we've got an axe to grind and that we're we're trying to do something where in fact what we're trying to do is to provide you with facts to help you, the reader, so that when readers attack us because we're trying to do whatever, it's perplexing sometimes. You know, where do you see the sort of the state of press freedom in the U.S. as we begin 2021? Well, as we begin 2021, there are lots of issues with, you know, with press freedom in the United States. I spoke to some of them earlier in the podcast. There are, are a few others I would, I would certainly mention as issues that have been ongoing for years throughout multiple administrations. There are issues that particularly at the local level with the ability of journalists and news organizations to get information through freedom of information laws. That's something that, that we have seen. We've also seen at the local level, again, you know, the way in which economic models and advertising has impacted the ability of news organizations to even subsist, to, to continue on. Something that we've also seen at the federal level that as a result of being an issue at the federal level impacts journalists around the country and around the world is the issue of journalists at, at borders. Now, this is something that we haven't had as many cases of in the last nine months or so, just to the fact that due to the pandemic, people are not traveling as much. But one of our bigger issues in the United States pre-pandemic was the fact that journalists crossing over U.S. borders were very often being pulled aside for secondary screenings, having their electronic devices searched, being questioned about the reporting that they're doing in some cases being intimidated about the reporting that they were doing and, and being accused of fake news and being enemies of the people. Again, the reduction in travel this year has kind of impacted that phenomenon, but it's still something that we saw in the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and we were deeply engaged with both administrations on. I think moving forward, it'll be very interesting to see how things play out with 
a new administration. I think there are you know a, a whole host of issues that the Biden administration will have to grapple with on press freedom that have been there. You know, you have the most recent stuff that's happening in the United States you know, related to protests. You have some of these ongoing local and federal issues that I've talked about, and and they include, by the way, other issues such as the prosecution of individuals who leak information to the press, which I think is the threat to the press insofar as that the press can't get this information and, and publish it, you know, it's a threat to their ability to operate. And you also have a lot of the, you know, attacks that Trump is engaged with, which hopefully will stop. I think the, the Biden administration will, again, have to grapple with these issues that have existed for a long time. But I think one of the things that we should see a, a very quick difference is, is the, the normative global leadership that we'll see from a Biden administration. The Obama administration, while it had its issues, was not engaged on the regular on Twitter and public engagement in direct criticism of specific news organizations and more broadly delegitimizing the role of the press in the United States, which had impact around the world. One of the things that's been really disturbing in our prison census, our survey, annual global survey of journalists in prison around the world, is that we've seen a rise in the number of journalists who are imprisoned for false news charges. Right now, it's it's 34. And that's something that, you know, hopefully with a new administration, we can see some change on it. So we have released a transition document for the incoming Biden administration a couple of weeks ago, where we've made a number of recommendations to the Biden administration in order to restore U.S leadership on press freedom around the world. They include a number of things, including things including strengthening State Department support for press freedom and engaging in supporting international government, you know, governmental organizations such as the United Nations that defend press freedom. But I think I think also the Biden administration has a role to play in, you know, reiterating the importance of the independent press and journalists in American society and ensuring that all the attacks that have happened against the press in the United States over the past year, that people are held accountable for those attacks. Yeah, you know, even the, the simple normative fact of, of having a press conference, a regular press briefing would be welcome, you know, even though you don't always get a lot out of those, you know, I think it does a lot to bolster the impression that the press is actually has a role in holding the government accountable for things. Absolutely. And just to say that that has to happen not only at the White House, but the State Department and the Department of Defense and all the different areas of the administration. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you also mentioned the Obama administration. I mean, you know, the tendency when you get in discussions like this is to say Trump, Trump, Trump. But the fact was that the, you know, the Obama administration had some issues about the way it sort of controlled its message and, you know, the ability of the press to get a certain type of information from the government. I'm hoping, you know, as you said, or as I said, with the um, return of the press conference, but even, even hopefully more open data from the government, because there's so much, you know, that's the thing that's maddening. There's so much, you know, if you put a big wall up, there's so much information that the government, you know, produces, you know, about climate change, for example, you know, that have huge impacts on industries and could actually do a lot towards our economy if, if those types of things are out there and flowing and informing the public and helping people to make arguments for policy changes. Having that information be more readily available, I think, is a huge thing. You know, setting the norms and sort of establishing the open dialogue with the press again, I think, is going to be huge. Hopefully, it'll be huge. Hopefully, things will get better. We've been talking about protecting press freedom. What is it that journalists can do, individual journalists do, to, to help promote press freedom? 
first off, I think a couple of organizations and initiatives to to be aware of. Obviously, the Committee to Protect Journalists being one of them. The U.S. Press Freedom Tracker, I think, is a invaluable resource in terms of its reporting and tracking of attacks against the press in the United States. An organization that we work with very closely in Washington is a group called the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. One of the interesting things they did this year, they're primarily a legal organization, is they've launched a local legal initiative in five states. I think it's Colorado, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee to provide legal support to, to news organizations that, that may need it. So I think that's really interesting. As individual journalists, you know, supporting organizations and initiatives like that, I think, is really important. I think it's also worth keeping in mind the way in which journalism is shifting in the United States. And we're seeing more and more of the sort of nonprofit model of investigative journalism. And so as someone who was an individual journalist, I'm trying to support those organizations as much as I can through memberships and donations to ensure that they're able to exist in the years ahead. Because in certain cities, they are the only organizations that are really producing the journalism that the people in, in those places, you know, really, really need because of the, you know, the evaporation of newspapers. But honestly, I think that when it comes down to it, the two ways that journalists, individual journalists can best fight to protect and promote press freedom is one, to do their jobs as well as they can. The reputation of the Committee to Protect Journalists in Washington and around the world is in large part built on the on the fact that our reporting and research has been so good, you know, that we've done such a stellar job of making sure that everything we publish is as airtight as it possibly can be. And obviously, when we make any sort of mistake that we correct it, and we're honest about it. And I think that's something that we can we can do as individual journalists and as an industry, because it will again, reflect on us in the long term. The other is, particularly, I think this goes for journalists in the United States, to to use their own platforms to raise attention for cases of journalists around the world who are not necessarily getting the attention that journalists in the United States get. And just to give you, you know, an example or an illustration of this, you know, we have gone to bat for journalists around the world who work for major news organizations and who have gotten in trouble. And there was the case most recently of two Reuters journalists in Myanmar who were reporting on grave human rights violations. And their case got tremendous attention around the world by virtue of the fact that they're working for Reuters and they got a lot of international support. But there were also a lot of journalists in Myanmar who were engaged in similar sorts of efforts and had you know, been imprisoned or faced other legal attacks and didn't get the same level of attention. And so when we talked about those cases, we tried to remind people that the cases of these Reuters journalists were indicative of the situation that journalists in the country face. And so I think it's really important for journalists in the United States who have a pretty prominent platform to try to use their platform to speak to you know, cases of journalists and attacks against the press around the world that are not getting the same level of attention. That is really the reason why the Committee to Protect Journalists started. So hopefully people can kind of draw some inspiration from that and uh, carry it forward. How can people find out more about your organization and also access the, uh, the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker? 
So you can find out more about our organization at cpj.org. If you want to find out more about the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker, I believe the, the URL is pressfreedomtracker.us. Michael, thanks for coming on the podcast. You've talked on, on a subject that we, you know, we've talked about a lot on the, on the podcast about press freedom, about how we can sort of make our industry better and stronger. Thanks again. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.